Well, it's summertime, and so I'm going to share a word with you today that we're calling road trip. Summer's in full swing, and uh, isn't it the season for traveling? Lots of folks are making trips here and there. People are going on vacations, visiting family. Uh, I did the math. In the last 18 days, uh, my family and I, not just myself, but all of us together, have traveled over 3,800 miles. Now, for a guy like Ron, who's an evangelist, travels all over the world, that's not a big deal in 18 days to go that far. Or Christian Bearscove, he's a pilot, so that's probably a light week for him. But for a guy that his office is three blocks from his house, that's a lot. I'm not used to that much of a commute. Thankfully, I didn't drive all 3,800 miles. Somewhere in there, we did take a plane to Texas a couple weeks ago. Uh, I had the chance to go down there and uh, officiate a ceremony for a wedding of some former students of mine and got to preach with our uh, home church there in Mesquite, Texas. Uh, but we did a lot of traveling. This past week, we went on a family vacation down to the Outer Banks. And so I spent the better part of 10 hours yesterday on the road. And uh, all that to say, I've had a lot of time to muse about road trips and traveling. And I want to I take that analogy and run with it for a little bit today, because the Bible has a lot to say about traveling. In fact, let me just kind of lay a, a biblical foundation here, just so you don't think I'm just suffering from heat stroke. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining brighter till the full light of day. Let me just pause and give a word of encouragement to someone here that maybe is new to the faith. Maybe you haven't been serving God very long and, and you're kind of feeling like you're still stumbling your way in the dark. Well, listen to how this works according to the word of God you see behind me. It says that it starts out like the morning sun and it dawns and it's brighter and brighter. God's going to give you fuller and fuller revelation as you walk in the light of his word. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, verse 6, many of you, you could quote this verse if you grew up in the church. It says, in all your ways, submit to him or acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God wants to lead you. He wants to order your steps. He wants to help you navigate the journey of life and the journey of faith. So I hope that we can all get on board, at least on this level, as to say we're headed somewhere. I mean, somebody might be here and they don't know where they're headed. Maybe there's somebody here and you haven't decided where you want to go. Some of you might be so driven and you feel like life is flying at 90 to nothing in the fast lane. And I wouldn't doubt there might even be some folks here today that you just feel like you're spinning your tires in the mud. But can we all just agree we're going somewhere? And the reality is you are closer to your destination today than you were yesterday. And so as a church, we understand that God is a God of process, that God is bringing people on a journey. And by the way, he is as interested in the process and in the journey as he is in the destination. How many of you know that the the message of the church is not just one day it's going to be okay, you can go to heaven. 
No, Jesus said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you could have life abundantly. Anybody in for that deal? Amen. I mean, praise God, heaven's going to be awesome. But eternal life doesn't start when we die. Eternal life starts when we accept Christ into our heart. God wants something for you in the journey. And because we understand that as a church, our, our vision is this, simply stated, and, and Pastor Chris talked about it this morning with our First Impressions team, that we have this vision of leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's our heart as a church. We want to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. i got to be honest with you. I, I'm not really interested in buying into a vision that says we just want to help people get where they're trying to go. Because you and I both know that if we help them get to where they're trying to go, that may be the worst thing we could do for them. Maybe you're here today and you don't have an idea spiritually as to which way is up. The last thing we'd want to do is say, well, what do you feel in your heart like you should do? No. The Bible says the heart is wicked. Above all things, who can know it? It's deceptive. But we do have a true north. We have a compass that is set and it's on Christ the Lord. And so our vision is to lead you from where you are to where God wants you to be. That's my hope this morning. I want to I want to help you on the journey. Can I help you this morning? All right, don't get too quiet on me. We want to get to the right path and the right place. That's the heart. To get on the right path and get to the right place. Jesus talked about the path in John 6. We'll come back to this verse later. In John 14:6, rather, he said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Jesus is the path. He also said in John 14 that I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you in my name so that where I am, there you may be also. So there's a place we got to get to and there's a path we got to take to get there. And that's our vision as a church. Very simply, we want to get you on the right path so you can get to the right place. Leading people from where they are to where Christ Wants them to be. So I want to tell you a couple things that I've observed on the road. I got tired of listening to all the Disney movies playing in the back. And so I just let let the spirit take me into some deeper waters than Moana. But here's one of the things that maybe you've noticed about life and certainly in your travels this summer. Number one, there are clear boundaries on the road. Isn't that a good thing? Now, some of these, you know, Lancaster County, York County, backcountry roads, there's no boundaries, and those are dangerous. (laughs) But when you're out there in five lanes of highway, it's good to know there are clear boundaries on the road. And it's the same for us in our relationship with God. There are boundary lines that God has given us. If you got your Bible, go with me to Psalm chapter 32. I want to show you something in the psalm here. Now, let me give you a little backstory while you're turning to Psalm 32. David wrote this as a prayer and as a re- response to God's forgiveness in his life. I won't go into all the details of it today, but the short version is David uh, fell hard. He had committed sin in his life. I'm not talking about like stole a candy bar. I mean like 
committed adultery and killed the woman's husband. Like, big sin. The sin that even sinners agree, that's wrong. And he, he tried to cover it up for a long time. For about a year, he lived with this sin concealed. Until finally God sent a prophet of God to his door. And he called him out. He said, David, you're the man. You're, you're the man that's done wrong. You're the man that sinned against God. And David, in response to that, wrote Psalm 32. So it's a powerful story about what God has done, what God wants to do. And the first seven verses are David's testimony. He starts in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That's David, here and now, as he writes. He goes on to say, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. You know, we could take all morning to just stay right here, but this is the, the posture of the person who asks for God to forgive them. If you call on God today to forgive you, no matter how big your sin is, or how long you kept it in secrecy and held on to it, you're blessed when you confess to the Lord. It says, He does not count your sin against you. But then David describes in the next few verses what it felt like to live in secrecy. He said, When I kept silent, verse 3, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. It's what he felt like to just carry the burden of knowing his secret shame. Then he says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. If you don't know how to pray, you can borrow that one. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. He says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the people pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are, he says, he's testifying now. He's saying, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And then it switches. Now God's speaking in verse 8. God responds to this incredible prayer, this celebration of the mercy of God. And look at these words in verse 8 of Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. That's the heart of God. He wants to lead you. He wants to counsel you with His loving eye. He wants to show His mercy to you. How does he do it? He's given us clear boundaries on the road. The Bible says in, in Psalm 119 verse 32. I, I love this verse. It says, I run in the path of your commands. For you have set my heart free. There's a path that we're to run in. Where we find freedom. And in the path in God's words. In his word is the precepts and the principles of scripture. God communicates to us. Those precepts are like that double yellow line. It's very clear. You don't cross over that double yellow line. If you do, it's going to be trouble. You're going to get hit by something coming the other direction. And the, the precepts of God's word are, are that double yellow line. The Ten Commandments, for example, are precepts. They're very clear. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Very clear. No wiggle room. 
It's God's way of guiding us with His Word. In, in Psalm 119, David describes the precepts of God. Look at it with me in verse 4. Longest chapter in the Bible. You'd think we wouldn't have so much trouble finding it. Verse 4. He said, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Can we just say fully obeyed this morning? Fully obeyed. The precepts of God. They're to be fully obeyed. But then there's the principles of God's word. And those are like that, that white dash line. Like when you're on a six lane highway, we all have to move in the same direction. But there's all these lanes you can kind of choose from. And honestly, a lot of times this is where the frustration and even the, the, the arguments rise up in the body of Christ sometimes. Because the precepts of God are very clear, but the principles Leave a little room for lane changes and, and, and people don't always agree exactly on how to live out and flesh out the principles of God's word. So, for example, the scripture says in Romans 14, verse 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in front of your brother's way. Well, what's considered a stumbling block and an obstacle? Well, you, you got to work that out. You got to figure that out. You got to know the brothers and sisters in Christ that you're with. In, in one of the churches, one of the stumbling blocks was the fact that some of the Christians were going down to the market and they were buying meat that had been sacrificed to, to pagan false gods and they were bringing it home and they were cooking it. And for some people, that was a stumbling block. They couldn't believe that you would eat Meat that was sacrificed to an idol. And then other Christians said, what's the difference, man? It's steak. It was on discount. Like, I don't worship that God. And so you, you, have, to, you have to choose a lane and, and walk with, with grace with other people. There's another verse, for example, the principles of God's word. 1 Corinthians 5.20 says, You who were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. So, that's a principle. Honor God with your body. Well, there's been all kinds of debate about what that looks like. What does it look like to honor God with your body? Well, some people would say, you know, modesty. You can't wear that outfit or you can't wear that. Some people would say that, uh, you know, I'm honoring God with my body by getting this huge tattoo of Jesus on the cross on my back. But then somebody else says, you dishonored God by putting a tattoo on your body. Pick a lane. Some people say you, 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 you dishonor God by, by smoking or, or, or drinking. Other people have different convictions about some of those things. So it's a principle of God's word that we have to walk in and, and walk out. But, but they are there to guide us. They're, they're boundary lines to, to help us to move in the right direction. Here's what I've discovered about figuring out the principles of God's word. Because that's where all the, the trouble lies. It's this, you can't successfully follow the principles of God's word if you're not obeying the precepts of God's word. 
it's funny how many times we'll we'll stand around the water cooler and argue with people about the precepts when we're knowingly living in disobedience to the or we argue about the principles when we're living in disobedience to the precepts to the known will of God. We would rather debate things that really don't matter that much than just obey the things that do. But this verse in Psalm 119, verse 66, I want to read it again. It says, teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. See, I trust your commands. I I trust in the precepts, those clearly defined Laws in your word. I trust in those. So I'm asking you to teach me knowledge and good judgment. That's the way it works. God wants to teach you and cause you to grow in truth as you walk within the boundary lines that he set for our lives. Psalm chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. It starts off the first verse. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. He's talking about a person who's blessed by God, who chooses to stay in their lane. And then he goes on in the next verse and says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord on which he meditates day and night. Day and night he meditates on the law of God. And then it says, Down in verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So right here in this first verse, the first psalm. He says God guides us with his word. He said God grounds us in his word. Verse 3 says that person is like a tree that's planted by streams of water. Which yields its fruit in season. Whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Why? Because he's he's choosing to walk in the counsel of God's word. His word guides him. It grounds him and, and it guards him. He watches over him. He protects him. God wants to guide you with his word. There's boundary lines that God wants to lead us in as we're going on the journey. Let me tell you the second thing that I've observed in the in the road trip. It's that there's a speed limit. Anybody else notice that? No, I didn't get a ticket. That's not where this story's going. But the speed limit is there to to govern the flow of traffic. It tells you how fast you can go. But how many of you know the speed limit's not just there to warn you if you're going too fast. The speed limit's also there to warn you if you're going too slow. (laughs) Yeah, you had some of those drivers. Get out of the left lane! 65 mile an hour speed limit, somebody's doing 40 in the left lane. How many of y'all have almost lost your salvation this week because of that scenario? I'm sorry if I just hit a nerve. But the speed limit, it, it governs us both ways. It's not just to say you're going too fast. It's also to say, hey, you may need to speed up here. And it, it, traveling a long distance requires perseverance. One of my favorite features is that little cruise control button. Get a lane and hit cruise control and just set it and go, man. Just go. And that's perseverance. When we understand that it's spiritually, we're in for the long haul. 
That, that we are, that we are not just trying to make some spiritual gain today, that, and, and then just think we're gonna just kinda ride that until August. No! This is something that I get up every day, and, and I, I set the pace of my spiritual life with God. Perseverance. I think it was Joyce Meyer that said, perseverance is just outlasting the devil. I love that. Just outlasting the devil. Just an attitude that sticks with it. I want you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. There's a section here in the latter part of chapter 10. In my Bible, it's subtitled, A Call to Persevere in Faith. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing. He's calling believers to persevere in the faith. And we won't read all of it for time's sake, but I would encourage you to read the second half of Hebrews 10 from verse 19 all the way to the end of the chapter. He begins that section encouraging the brothers and sisters in Christ to have confidence in verse 19, or 22 through 24, he tells them to do a few things. He says, draw near to God. He says, hold on to the faith that we profess. Hold on to hope with the faith that we profess. Then he tells them this. He says, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us consider how we can do that. that that's, what, that's what we were doing this morning in the meeting before service with all of our first impressions team. We were considering how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encouraging one another. He's telling the church, you need to do this. You need to encourage each other. Now look at verse 25 there in chapter 10 of Hebrews. It says, and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. These are some things that he says we need to do. We need to stick together. We need to encourage one another. That's what's happening right here today. You came to church today to, to get encouraged. To, to check the gauge. To make sure that you're keeping pace. And maybe you coasted in this morning. But we're going to accelerate out the door. Amen? And it's not because I'm going to preach too long. Amen? Some of y'all accelerate out the door every Sunday. You know who you are. Honestly, he says, hey, listen, encourage one another, stay together. But then he goes into the next section of the scripture and he starts talking to the church about this, uh, the habits of their life. He warns them about living in a habitual lifestyle of sin. And again, we won't read it for time's sake, but in verse 26 through 31, he starts challenging them. And here's what's happening. The church started off great. They were all together. God was moving. But now some things have started to slow them down. Personal decisions people have started making. Things that they just need to adjust course. Some things are maybe out of alignment in their life. And so the writer is warning them about habitual sin. He takes them back to the Old Testament. He says, listen, if these people were under a curse because they broke the law of Moses, how much more would you be under a curse if you've experienced the grace of Jesus in your life? He saved you and now you are knowingly Living in disobedience to the word and will of God. This is a strong verse, but he says these words in verse 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so he reminds them to, to, 
to cut away the sin in their own life. To allow the Holy Spirit to prune them so that they don't live in a pattern of habitual sin. And then he starts talking to them about where they used to be. And and I want to just challenge you. Maybe you're here today and you could just, in your own heart, look back over your relationship with God. And if you're here and you would have to acknowledge, you know, I'm I'm not moving at the pace that I used to be moving at. I've kind of shifted into neutral or I'm just maybe things are okay, but it's just okay. And you haven't been able to put your finger on it. You're not really sure where things are at. One of the greatest ways that you can kind of self-diagnose what's going on in your life with Christ is to simply remember. A memory is a powerful thing so long as you don't get stuck in it. But you can look back and you can remember where you were. And that's what he tells him in Hebrews 10. Look at verse 32. He said, remember those early days after you had received the light. When you endured a great conflict full of suffering. He goes on to talk about what they faced. He said, some of you were publicly exposed to insults. Other times, you were the ones that stood side by side with those who were treated Harshly. He said you suffered right along with them. As if you were in prison with them. Down at the latter part of verse 34 he says why? He says because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. There's something that God had done in your life that you were willing to put up with the difficulty. You were willing to even walk and journey along with people who were struggling and those that were suffering. Why? Because God had done something in your life. And he says, look back on that and remember the thing that God had done. And then in verse 36, he comes right to it. And this is what we need to know today. Verse 36 of Hebrews 10. After all that he said, he says, you need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. There's a promise. There's a destination. There's something that God has for your life. You need to persevere to get there. You need to check the gauges and and check your speed. Let me ask you this morning to just do a little dashboard analysis in your own life. Are you progressing? Are you persevering? In the journey. Now listen, not, not, every, not every season of the journey is 75 in the HOV lane. There are some seasons where things slow down. You know, tomorrow, as Pastor Chris mentioned, our students are going to be going to youth camp. Youth camp is an acceleration week. It's an opportunity for them to get in an atmosphere where the presence of God is honored 24-7, where there's powerful worship, compelling preaching, the altars are wide open. I'm promising you, this week is a week of acceleration for our teenagers. And young people, those of you that are here in this room that are going to that service, get all you can out of it. Let God move in your life. Let Him do it. In two weeks, we're going to be starting our VBS It's going to be an acceleration week for those boys and girls that come every night about six o'clock. They're going to spend two and a half hours in an atmosphere where God is honored, where they're encouraged in their faith. They're going to meet with God. He's going to do things in their life that they will never forget. It's going to be an acceleration week for those of you that serve. 
that come and you put your hands to the plow and you get to be a part of it. You may be tired physically, but I can promise you, by Thursday, your spirit is going to be soaring. Those moments are awesome moments. We need those moments. But how many of you can attest that not every day feels that way? Not every day is that way. In fact, Brother Earl was just sharing a prayer request with me before the service of a friend that just got terrible news from, from the doctor. He's going to have to go in for quadruple bypass surgery. One of those moments where life just locks the brakes on. You got to make a major adjustment. Not every day is life in the fast lane with God. There are some times where God ordains detours. Now hear this carefully today, because if we let the enemy lie to us, we'll believe that every time something doesn't go right, the devil's in it, and if it does go the way we wanted it to, it must be God. And I'm going to tell you, that is a shallow way to follow Jesus, and you're going to be frustrated a lot of days. Sometimes God ordains the detours. Sometimes He reroutes us for our good. Now, I don't travel hardly anywhere besides work without my GPS. Has anybody become uh, geographically challenged since the modern technology of GPSs? I mean, I remember growing up with a Rand McNally Atlas under the seat. You know, you just pull that big thing out and find the state. I Honestly, it's amazing I even remember where I live. I use my GPS for everything. It's sad, honestly. And I don't know anybody's phone number anymore either. I have to look up my wife's phone number sometimes to double check because they ask me her phone number and I say D-A-E. It's just, just, I just look up her name, there it is. My GPS has this great feature that if I'm driving along and I'm following my path, all of a sudden I get a notification. It says, suggested rerouting. Save 11 minutes. I'm like, hey, I can save 11 minutes. Looks like there might have been an accident up ahead. If I can save 11 minutes, let's reroute. So I did that yesterday. Twice it worked. The third time, the third time I paid for it. I'm just cruising down the highway. Suggested rerouting. Save 11 minutes. Man, there must be an accident up ahead. I could save 11 minutes. So I let that thing reroute me. And let me tell you. I have seen more of the back country of Virginia yesterday than in all my life. 35 minutes later, we're up and down these country roads, no boundary lines. My girls are car sick. Everybody's complaining. 11 minutes. All that, I wanted to reroute to save 11 minutes and it cost me all of that Heartache. Moral of the story is this, and I'll get to it. Two points. Number one, if you're coming home from the beach in the summer, you will get traffic. You will get slowed down. There will be some delays. But more importantly today, I want to tell you that's also true in our relationship with Christ. There are going to be unexpected delays. There are going to be moments where things take longer than you thought they should have taken. And in fact, there are sometimes where God ordains the detour. He takes you in a way that you didn't want to go. A way that you wouldn't have scripted the journey. But hear me today. Every delay 
is not from the devil. I want you to see a verse. We'll just put this one on the screen. It's in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 and 18. It's talking about God leading the children of Israel into the promised land. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. Don't you hate that? (laughs) Shortest distance. I'll pay the tolls. Shortest distance. I just want to get there. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So, verse 18, God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. They thought they were ready for battle. They went up out of Egypt ready for battle. For battle. They were thinking, hey, we're going from point A to point B. If anybody gets in the way, we're just going to roll right over them. But God, in His sovereignty, said, if they face war right now, they'll be so discouraged, they'll want to turn around and go back. And so God led them in a roundabout way. Now, nobody would have scripted a 40 year journey through the wilderness. Nobody wants it to take that long. And Chances are you're dealing with something you wish wasn't taking as long as it is right now. But the devil is not always in the delays. Sometimes it's the grace of God aligning our hearts for the blessing on the other end. Because God is concerned as much with the journey as He is with your destination. God wants to teach you something in the journey, in the midst of the road trip. He's trying to work some things out in our own lives. He's leading us. Allow the Holy Spirit to settle on your hearts. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. There's probably a point in this sermon I'm missing because I rerouted. If I would have been still, maybe God would have spoke. I don't know. Sometimes you got to sit. Sometimes you just got to wait on the Lord. But Isaiah declares that it's in the waiting upon the Lord that we renew our strength. That we can run and not grow weary. That we can walk and not faint. That we can mount up on wings as eagles and fly. But sometimes God wants us to wait. Let me give you this last point. You know what I noticed? There's a lot of travelers on the road. A whole lot of travelers on the road. And that's by design. Because this road that we're on in this journey of faith with God, is a long road. It's by God's design that there's a lot of travelers traveling the road with us. I I remember the first time I ever took a road trip that I was driving. Two days after high school, I was moving from Atlanta, Georgia, to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Moving back to Pennsylvania. So I packed everything I owned, which wasn't much, into my car. And I was just going to move up here two days after I graduated high school. And my parents thought it would be a great idea to bring my little brother along to keep me company on the road trip. And they were going to buy him a ticket to fly him back. So I never let him live this down. This sermon illustration is case in point. That I will never let him live this down. But we got in the car early that morning because I wanted to make it in one day. 12 or 13 hour drive. I wanted to make it in a day. And we got in the car and he crawled in the passenger seat and fell asleep. He slept for about 12 hours in that passenger seat. He got up twice to use the bathroom and ask when we're going to be there. 
and fell back to sleep. Now, in his defense, because of all my stuff, his seat was about 93 degrees forward. I think he was cutting his circulation off. But he slept the whole way. And I, I never let him live that down. I thought, you are the worst co-pilot ever. Now, yesterday, driving was totally different. Because any time that my wheels would drift off onto those rumble strips, you just, right away, Dave would say, you getting sleepy? No, 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 I'm not, I'm not sleepy. I'm fine. Just, I'm fine. But, but there are people that God's put in, in the journey with you. And the question that I want to ask you, just personally to ask yourself, who in your life can ask those questions to you? Hey, are you staying between the boundaries? Are you following the precepts and the principles of God's word? Or are you like the church in Hebrews 10 that, Are there some habitual sins? Are there some lifestyle choices that you've fallen into that maybe you need to readjust? Maybe you need to remember? Are there some things that need to be corrected? Who is that person? Who are those people that can can call you on those things and hold you accountable as you go through the journey? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10, that two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help them up. May that never be said of anyone in this church. Pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. There's no lone rangers in the journey. God's called us to run this race together. It's more than a theme. It's a reality that God put in the church. We are better together. You need people to say, hey, wake up. You're drifting. You're slacking off. You're not moving like you used to. Are things okay? Do we, do we need to stop? Do we need to take a rest here? Do we need to pray? Do we need to reevaluate? You need those people in your life. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And there are many that enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying there's a lot lot of traffic. There's a lot of people moving. But compared to this world, there's very few of us that are actually moving Towards the destination that God has for your life. That's why it's so important that we stick together. That's why it's so important that you have other Christ followers that you're doing community with. That you're doing life with. You know, we're ending just this past week a a life group series through the summer about how to live a spirit-empowered life. I want to challenge you whether, whether it's through a life group this fall or just in sitting down and Having breakfast with some folks. Just meeting up with some people over coffee. Just inviting somebody to lunch after church. Do life with some other believers. I mean, thank God for, for the family and, and, and the friends that you have and your co-workers. But if those co-workers and those family members are not Christ followers, you need to surround yourself with some people that will journey with you to get you to the destination that God has for your life. Because the road you're traveling is not a road that we chose because it's the most popular. 
We chose this road because it has the greatest reward. Jesus told the disciples he was going to prepare a place for them in John 14. And he said, you know the place that I'm going. And one of the disciples, Thomas, said, how are we supposed to know the way to the place that you're going? Jesus looked at him and he answered. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. God's got his own GPS. It's God's positioning system for your life. Just like when you you punch in the, the destination and your location... The location pin drops right on you. Wherever you are, wherever you are, God knows where you're at. He knows where you're at today. Psalm 139 says, if you go to the highest mountain or to the depths of the sea, still He's there. I want to tell you today, God knows right where you're at. That's why our vision as a church is to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. We don't want to lead you from where we are. Maybe you don't even feel like you can get to where I am. But God knows where you are. But he's also dropped a pin on where he wants you to be. And can I tell you where that pin drops? It drops at the feet of Jesus. That's the location. That's where he wants you to be. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Paul the Apostle said that he has fixed his eyes on the prize. Who's the prize? It's Jesus. He has run his race. He has finished his course. There is a crown laid up for him. And that's supposed to be the story of each and every one of us. God knows right where you're at. He knows right where you need to go. So as we end this service today, I want to pray for you. Now I know that there's people all over the map today, pun intended. All over the map. But I want to just challenge you in this moment to ask the Spirit of God to locate you. David said it like this. He said, search me, O God. Know my thoughts. Test my heart. Would you be so bold as to pray that prayer today? Say, test my heart, O God. Know me. Am I staying in the lanes Am I traveling with those that you've called me to go with? God, have I allowed the detours and the roadblocks to frustrate my faith to where I'm not, I'm not persevering anymore? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I thank you today for your presence in this place. I thank you that, Lord God, you know exactly where each and every heart is in this room. And you said you'd come to where we are if we call your name. So, church, right now, I don't want to... I don't want to spoon-feed you the words in this moment. I want to just invite you to do something we did early in this service. And that's to call on the name of Jesus. It's a beautiful name. It's a wonderful name. It's a powerful name. And if you'll call on that name, He will come to where you are. 
He will meet you at your point of need. So Father, right now, as we take the final moments of this service together, and we begin to call on the name of Jesus, Father, would you, would you come and meet us even now? Church, would you just stand with me and let's take this entire sanctuary and make it our altar. Right where you're standing. Just invite the presence of the Lord to come and be near to you in this moment. Father, I pray for the one that might be standing in a place where they feel stuck. They feel like life has delayed them or derailed them. and They're not where they need to be. God, I pray right now that you come to them in your grace. Lord, they sense the nearness of your presence. The God, that they would set their sight again on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, today I pray. I pray today that God, they begin to move forward in the path to the place that you've called them to be. Father, thank you today for your encouragement in your word. God, I pray for those that need to make some adjustments this week. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that that points those things out to us in these moments. God, help us to, to be surrendered and submitted to your Lordship. These are the moments in our lives that really define who the Lord of our life is. When we have to lay down our will, lay down our desires, crucify our flesh again, take up our cross, and follow you, God. Speak to us today by your Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you give us all eyes to see those that are traveling with us today. God, may we not leave this place without looking to the right and to the left. Seeing the value and the strength that is ours in the body of Christ. Lord, may there be encouragement today. May there be edification today. May we be strengthened. May may we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. God, we don't want to get to that place that you have for us without our family without our loved ones without our friends so God give us eyes to see those around us that need a word of encouragement that need to be lifted up in the same way that we held hands and prayed earlier God may we lift one another may we lift each other's hands may we encourage one another in the journey all the way until we see you face to face In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Listen.